Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. And we're rolling. Hello and welcome to episode 130 of the Inside Tri Show, sponsored by Resilient Nutrition, who make nutrition products to help you perform at your best mentally and physically. I'm Helen Murray and each week on the Inside Tri Show, I bring you awesome interviews from triathlon and beyond. Triathlete Jackson Laundrie is my guest this week. The Canadian has come up through the age group ranks and he's still with the same coach actually who he started out with as an age grouper. So we talk a lot about training and that coach athlete relationship. So it's a good chat. I'm also going to be bringing you news of a new discount which is actually pretty close to my heart that one. But you will know by now that podcast sponsors Resilient Nutrition are really good when it comes to sharing their knowledge of nutrition and sleep and endurance by supporting people doing pretty epic stuff. And one of those things includes RAM, which is Ride Across America. It's a 3,000 mile bike race, 3,000 miles across America. And Ali McDonald, CEO of Resilient Nutrition, gave me the lowdown about what it's been like supporting British brothers, Jack and Alex Forster, who are going to be competing in the pair. You've got a, a grand plan of two hours on, two hours off, but that it's unlikely that's going to survive contact with the actual terrain. The other thing is, is the weather. Um, you know, when you look at the map, it, it, it's one thing, but then it's the volatility of the weather in the States in general, um, which is it's, it's, it's getting more and more volatile anyway. So it's having to, to cater for that, you know. Um, so I think it's as much a challenge of mental resilience as it is around physical resilience. You can look at a race like this and plan it and go, right, by, by day three, yeah, I want to be in, in Wichita. But the reality is there's going to be so many variables determining your pace across the ground you're better off focusing on i'm just going to do the best i can in this tw- in this two hour window and i'm going to break it into 20 minute chunks and every 20 minutes i'm going to take on some fuel and 
that's the way to do it. And if your support team are dialed into that and yeah, you've, you've put the time in in terms of training, they're going to know what to hand to you either out of the side of the vehicle or at a checkpoint to get you going. And they should also know what to feed you at the end of your, at the end of your rotor. Yeah, eating stuff that you're familiar with, eating stuff that you know is going to go down the range and is going to be satisfying. Um, but you know, if, you, if you're just finishing at you know, 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning after a night shift and you, you're about to get your three-hour window, you're probably not going to want to... You're going to be hungry, but you want to get your head down as well. So actually, you know, you're probably going to eat something different to what you might then have three hours later when you're about to get back on the bike with a sore bum um, and, and, and go, go at it again for another two or three hours. So if I look at the, the Forster guys, there's two guys in the van. I, I, I was a hair's breadth away from going over there with them. And yeah, it, it's so tempting. <laughs> uh, nothing like sleep loss. Uh, but um, yeah, you, you're going to need to, someone... Uh, driving the vehicle, probably doubling up as a manic mechanic. You might have another mechanic. The other person is a little bit like your domestique. Uh, you know, they've got to hand out the window, you know, passing stuff to whoever's on the bike, um, potentially, you know, dealing with issues as they, as, they, as they fly along. Some of the bigger teams have got more vehicles. They've got more people. You know, they might have a dedicated uh, nutritionist or chef. Uh, they might have a, um, s- some other support in the vehicle. It's definitely a team effort. Yeah, even, even the s- solo riders have got two three four people behind them um kind of make, making sure they they are and, and the analogy I've, I've got for for this one in particular is yeah keep that engine running um yeah that 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 that's what you you are you're an engine for seven eight nine days that is ali mcdonald from podcast sponsors resilientnutrition.com and you can get 10 percent off everything over on the website just use the code inside try 10. Sticking with cycling stuff, in coming weeks you're going to hear from Christina McKenzie. She is now an ultra-distant cyclist, but she was a triathlete and she broke the women's record for Land's End to John O'Groats last summer and more recently she has broken the women's record for doing Scotland's North Coast 500. So I am looking forward to bringing you that interview with Christina. And talking of all things Scotland, do not forget that you can get £100 off entry to next year's three-day Highland Ultra from organisers Beyond the Ultimate. Use the code InsideTry and that is valid until the end of June 2022. Now, I did promise you news of one other discount. (laughs) And as a listener to this podcast you can get 10% off at lifejacket.com. So lifejacket.com are all about skin protection. So sun creams, moisturizers with SPF in them. And I had a really, really good chat with their co-founder, Billy, recently. And I was just pretty impressed, actually, because they are very, very passionate about making sure that other people look after their skin. And one of their messages is, look, even if you don't use our products, please protect your skin and you will thank us for it. So the code is inside try. Time for this week's interview. Canada's Jackson Laundry joins us on the podcast this week. The professional triathlete has worked his way up from age group racing to being one of the best 70.3 athletes in the world. 
In early 2022, he beat Alistair Brownlee over the distance at Oceanside. So in this conversation that you're about to hear, we talk a fair bit about training, but also, and I think you'll like this bit, how he has consistently put the work in and year on year, he has got better. Jackson Laundry, welcome to the Inside Try Show. How's it going? Thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's going going pretty well. Yeah, weather's finally turned around here in Guelph. So, you know, spirits are up, sun's out, can't complain. Guns out? Yeah, well, <laughs> we'll see. Depends. <laughs> so, right, Jackson, we've recently had the Ironman World Championships. What were you doing when they were on? And were you sort of like sitting there watching, thinking, yep, I want to be part of that? Uh, I was kind of just, I had a bit of a busier morning. I was following like the tracking, not watching too much in the swim bike portion, but I had a good idea of what was going on. And then I watched most of the run and I was not hoping I was wishing I was there because <laughs> it looked very difficult. And I know that area pretty well. And that course was pretty insane. And obviously, you know, there was some incredible competition. So not something I would have been prepared for just yet at the full distance, but it's definitely starting, you know, more and more I'm getting the mind spinning about, you know, moving up to that distance and trying to be competitive there, but still a little ways down the road for me. Um, probably not going to be doing folds this year, but, you know, I was thinking it might be a few years, but who knows, I, I might I might start jumping in uh, pretty soon. Did it kind of, when you were watching it, did it like spark that little fire in your belly a little bit? Uh, it definitely got me really excited for the 70.3 Worlds, which is going to be in the same place. Um, but yeah, the race for sure got me a little bit excited about, uh, you know, championship racing and doing fulls pretty soon. I mean, I would love an opportunity to race. Obviously, Kona is going to be amazing, you know, when I eventually get there, but we'll see, maybe they'll do like a non-Kona every few years uh, for Worlds. So it'd be cool if they go back to like St. George or another course like that, because I really like the hilly terrain. Um, so that probably would suit me, but we'll see what it brings. But it was awesome to watch. I mean, Lionel, Lionel's a really obviously huge name in triathlon in Canada. And so it was pretty cool to see him kind of move up into second right towards the end there. And I, Braden, I was kind of like, hoping he'd catch him but also not because I also know Braden a little bit and he's a great guy and he had an awesome race so I was like I was kind of cool with whatever but it was awesome to watch and what did you make of Christian Blumenfeld oh he's you know not even surprising at all um he's just stellar him you know Gustav he and Gustav are kind of on that same level of like this is you know this is the best in the world and this is what you gotta you gotta shoot for if you want to have a chance so it's amazing um, what they're able to do, but you just kind of, you watch them and try to learn a couple things and, you know, try not to to focus too, too much on changing everything because obviously what, you know, what I'm doing and what other people are doing also has, has been working. So you kind of got to have that balance of like learning without trying to, uh, you know, upset the apple cart too much. What kind of stuff would you learn from them? Um, yeah, mostly about how they train, you know, it's a little bit different. Um, they kind of really, really focus on the zones that they're in and, and sort of, um, make sure they're training in those correct zones and 
they do it in a very um, scientific way of kind of measuring like, okay, here's your, here's what your lactate level is. That's what this means. Um, I kind of, you know, have taken from it some different things. Like, I don't think it's actually necessary to measure that frequently or even at all necessarily, but what basically what they're doing is they're almost never working at above threshold. So they're training their aerobic zones uh, a lot more and, you know, kind of thinking into some of the past training I've done, probably, uh, you know, there's been times where I've trained too much above the threshold zone and, and it correlates with times where I've been kind of drained and, you know, not necessarily had my best racing. So these are things I've been learning over the last few years. And as I get older, I actually train probably less hard in terms of those intervals. Um, but I'm able to kind of accumulate more of that volume in, in the, what they would call like an LT2 and an LT1 zone. Um, whereas before I was kind of doing a lot of like really easy and then a lot of like above threshold work, um, where I think that was probably just not quite optimal. So that's kind of what I'm learning from it. I've never even measured lactate, but it's pretty easy to tell, you know, when you're an experienced athlete, whether you're under your threshold or not. Um, and that's really all that, all that they are doing is making sure they're under threshold. So yeah, I've been kind of learning from that a little bit, but also, you know, not doing everything the exact same as they do. Like I know they do a lot of work kind of at that LT1 zone and they're running and whatnot. And, and that's kind of, you know, it's still, it's still not that easy. If you, if you run it, if you're a pretty fit athlete going at that LT1 or whatever it's called, it's still a, pr a pretty decent effort. It can take a toll. So I actually probably spend a lot less time there than, than most of those guys. But that's something that might change as I sort of shift towards a full distance in the future. But for now, I'm kind of just, you know, keeping it a little bit easier on most of my mileage. That's interesting. And when you, you know, you were saying about the different training and how for you it's changed perhaps a bit over, you know, over the last 10 years. And then is that stuff that you would chat through with your coach, almost like a joint process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we talk all the time about sort of, you know, well, I wouldn't say all the time, but pretty frequently at, at the start of each sort of block, I guess we would discuss like, what, what are we trying to accomplish in the block? And how is that going to look in terms of day to day and the weekly sort of plan? Um, but yeah, we will talk about like, okay, which zones do we want to focus on in this block and, and sort of the philosophies have changed and his philosophies have, have kind of evolved over the last few years as well. Um, just as you know, different research comes out and, and different things seem to be effective. But um, in the end, probably the main change would be how I approach the actual workouts. So um, my coach generally likes to write in terms of something people can, can understand um, no matter kind of what level they are, who they are. So he might write, for example, okay, do these swim intervals at like 1500 time trial pace or 1500 time trial effort. Um, and generally I'll kind of think of that, look at the workout and decide, okay, is that the exact effort I want to hit today? Um, it depends a lot on fatigue levels and you know, what I'm trying to accomplish, but usually, um, I'll be right in that area, but sometimes I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to actually dial it back a bit. I'm, you know, I want to stay more in this zone or sometimes I'll do it even a little bit harder depending on how I'm feeling. So, um, I think the main difference is how I decide to approach the workouts. Whereas before I would kind of, you know, maybe four or five years ago, I would 
look at a workout and say, okay, there's five reps. I'm going to do the best average I possibly can in this workout, push myself really hard because that's going to make me faster. And uh, it's not exactly how, how that works all the time. And sometimes that's great, but, um, you know, more and more often lately I've kind of been like holding, holding back a little bit more than, you know, pushing hard, for example. Has that taken time to get used to? As in just holding back a little bit, hold back a little bit. Yeah, I mean, once I believed that it was the right sort of approach, um, I just, it was pretty easy to, to do that. Um, it's just, you have to believe in what you're doing no matter what it is. So when I believed that pushing as hard as I could was better, that was not difficult. But um, as gradually I shifted to thinking, you know, maybe that's not the best. It's, it's kind of easier in a lot of ways because it's not as difficult for one thing, um, like physically, uh, which is nice. Um, but then also, you know, mentally you kind of aren't, oh my gosh, I better hit my paces today. Kind of like, I really need to hit this three minute pace per K on the run because that's what I did last time or anything like that. You're just training your zones, you're training your body. And as long as like your body doesn't really understand how fast you're running, it understands how hard it's working or how you know hard it's working on the bike or swim. It doesn't really matter how fast you're going. So once you realize that, you take a lot of pressure off yourself in terms of the actual output in the workout. Um, and then things just kind of click a lot easier, I found. Let's stick with the training for a while. Because I think that you've really, really improved running off the bike, haven't you? And I think that people listening to this would actually love to know, like, how long has that process taken and how have you, how have you done that? Um, good question. So, yeah, I definitely have improved running off the bike, particularly at, like, the 70.3 distance. Um, so... In terms of like my open running or my actual running ability, it probably hasn't improved much more than like one or two percent over the last five years. Um, when it, but obviously in races it has. So there's 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 quite a lot of factors. Um, I think probably the main one is kind of what we were talking about is training the correct zone. So I'm actually I actually have probably quite a bit of a higher aerobic capacity now even though I'm not going that much faster, I think I'm getting a larger portion of that energy from aerobic ability, um, which is just more sustainable. So the longer the race goes, the more important that is. Um, so sort of when I started in the 70.3 distance in 2017, I was running a lot of like 120-ish uh, paces um, or like 120 splits off the bike. And I did run a 117 as well. And then 2018, I was running like couple minutes faster 2019 I started running like a lot quicker like I had a, a 110 and some 112s and stuff um, and I think the main thing there is yeah that aerobic capacity is higher so I'm actually sustaining probably a similar output on the bike but it's just a little bit of a lower effort and I've just kind of learned to be able to know when to push and when I have to hold back a little bit better so I'm starting to run a little bit fresher and then yeah I'm just kind of I've learned to pace myself really well and just what, what effort I can sustain. I don't wear a watch or, or use heart rate or anything. I just know based on how it feels. And I've done like 30 of these runs off the bike at least or more 70.3s. 
Um, so you just learn what the pace you can hold is. And, and some days it's not 110, some days it's 115. Um, but it just, it's kind of one of those things, it's just experience and training better and just gradual uh, progression. And then you look at how that plays out in a race, swim and bike hasn't changed too much. Like I've gotten better in the swim a little bit, mostly that's tactics and the bike, I'm kind of similar, but I'm not having to work as hard. And then I just am able to put it together better in the run. It is amazing, isn't it? The last few years, just the, almost like the leap that you've made. It's awesome. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been really, you know, encouraging. You always kind of keep planning to get better and better. And, and I think I've, I've been able to do that each year through just consistent training and consistent recovery and just trying not to do anything crazy different, like just slightly improve on what I'm already doing all the time. Um, just by learning little things as I go about how training feels and what it's doing and how recovery works and all those little things. But um, you still always have that, you know, little bit of doubt that you have to push away in the back of your mind that like one of these days you're just going to stop getting better. Um, and you just kind of have to believe, always believe that you will get better and you will get better. And, and um, for me, it's been, it's been happening for, I mean, 10 years since I've joined with my coach every year, I've been able to improve. So I don't have any reason to believe that's going to stop. So I'll just keep thinking it's going to keep going and, um, we'll see what happens. But yeah, it's been, it's been pretty cool to sort of hit that, that level where I'm now like, it's, it's taking time, but I'm, I'm believing and starting to believe that I can beat anybody in any race on any day. Um, and you know, it's tough when you've got all these incredible competitors who are like so strong across the board, or you've got guys who can like bike crazy hard and you know that like you probably can't outbike them. So like, how are you going to beat them? You just have to, you know, execute the best race you can and hope it plays out in your favor. And usually it does. And you know, then you have a good day like Oceanside and sometimes it doesn't and you finish seventh or whatever, like I have already twice this year. So, um, yeah, you just got to keep taking those shots. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You said Oceanside there. I think that there is just the best photo of you when you were coming past Ali Brownlee and Ali's looking over at you. What do you think when you see that photo? Uh, yeah, I mean, that was, you know, it was pretty awesome to, uh, to experience that in, you know, I don't know what he was thinking or 
He seemed pretty, he looked a little bit angry in the photo, which, <laughs> which you know, he should be. I mean, he was leading the whole race, and then he, he kind of gave it up there, and, and I was able to take over. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's just, it's one of those moments that keeps you motivated um, to, to try to get back into that position where you can, you know, take over the lead in the last two miles of the race. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's, it's what you dream about as an athlete, like taking on Alistair Brownlee and passing him in the last, like, you can't write it any better than that. So, um, yeah, that's special for sure. Definitely the most exciting race I've ever, you know, been a part of. Um, and we'll see if I can, you know, I know he's going to want revenge for sure. Like, he's like, who the hell is this guy coming in here and beating me? So, <laughs> so he'll be... <laughs> He'll be ready to go the next time we race, and, and we'll see what happens. But um, it was pretty cool, for sure, to be, you know, to have that memory. Five years ago, maybe, I don't know, five, eight years ago, would you have been, would Ali Brownlee have been almost one of your role models? Absolutely. Um, so five years ago was pretty much the last time we raced. I mean, we did race in Daytona in 2020, but he didn't finish. Um, and it was at the North America championship 70.3, which at that time was St. George and he won and I finished eighth and he beat me by something like 17 minutes. Like it wasn't close at all. Um, like he, it was, he just went in there and destroyed everyone. Like Lionel kind of made it close at the end, but it was, you know, one of those Alistair Brownlee performances you'd expect. Um, and I was, I was just nowhere close to that level at that time. I think I ran like 123 or something. Like it was a pretty tough day. Um, so yeah, like that he was, you know, that was the level back then. And I remember being, you know, it's hard not to be discouraged when you're still that far off. Um, and I, ha I had had some of those wake up calls a few times even before that. So I was sort of, Although, you know, I knew like, hey, Alistair Brownlee, that's the level, the top level, and Jan Fredino at the time, and Lionel. Um, but I tried actually not to think about them too much because, you know, like I said, I was really far off. So I was just more focused on doing what I'm doing and just keep training, keep keep with the program, keep learning from what you're doing, how you can improve, and just chip away, chip away. And then you get 1%, 2% closer every year, and then you've closed this 15-plus minute gap in five years. Um, so yeah, I mean, he was, he was a, you know, and he still is one of the greatest, you know, in, in the sport. Um, but I actually, you know, I was watching him at this, obviously the Olympics, he's he'd won two gold medals and, you know, seeing what he'd done was, was incredible. So I was just like, all right, well, that's what he's doing. I'm just going to go do my own thing and just maybe someday I'll get there. And when you were younger, you did your first triathlon when you were like, 10 years old right so your dad brian must have had the biggest influence on you like massive yeah yeah for sure so i i did do my first when i was 10 uh and i you know pretty sure it was my dad who kind of heard about the race and told me to get you know that i should try it and stuff and it the race took place like one kilometer from my house so it was like you walk you literally walk over in the morning and you're, you swim in the pool and you ride your mountain bike 5 or 10K or whatever it was. And then you run 2K or whatever. It felt long at the time, but it was like 2 or 3K. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, he, he actually had done a couple of tries or a few before I was born, like when he was around 30. Um, and, you know, just 
did it, trained hard, and he was a terrible swimmer, and then he would pass everyone on the bike and run, and he was pretty good at it. So so he kind of thought maybe he'd get back into it someday, so we sort of both started getting back into it. Um, I did a couple as a kid there, but but not much, and then we kind of both started getting into it a bit more when I was in, in high school uh, age, like 16-ish. Um, and we trained, like, we were like, let's, let's get really fit and train for this race. We'll start training like four weeks out and see what we could do. And that's what we did. And we did fairly well. I mean, um, we, you know, I'd always done tons of sports as a kid and my dad's athletic and we always just, we're really competitive. So we push ourselves hard and we're and you know, we'd always at least known how to run like for endurance and stuff. So we did all right. And then it was, that was kind of the start of the journey of like knowing nothing about the sport basically like we would train we would just go out and ride as hard as we could run as hard as we could for like the race distance and that was our training because you know how would you do anything different and this is like 2000 uh 2009 probably um so that just seemed normal to us and and then once we got our first coach there we sort of started learning about like going easy sometimes and you know not always pushing yourself like he wrote our first training plan and it said like one hour easy run and we're like what the hell does easy mean like what do you mean easy you don't go easy you're training like you gotta push yourself so so that was quite the learning experience but you know come a long way since then and he's still racing he's uh he's i guess in the 60 to 65 now and he's always qualifies for worlds and short course and uh he like he came second in his ever in his age group in the first half he ever did a few years ago so he's still you know crushing it the best he can do you find do you find that pretty inspiring? Yeah, it's like you know, it's fun when it's a whole family thing. My sister does some racing as well, um, in between when she's not, you know, eight months pregnant or whatever. It's been the last couple of years she's been pregnant in the summer, so just doing what she can. But um, but yeah, it's fun, and we haven't raced at the same race too much lately. But um, it's pretty cool. Like we're both still coached by the same coach that we started with way back then, and. Um, I'm always trying to, you know, get him to keep doing training because he works a lot. So I'm like, where'd you fit your swim in? And sometimes he goes a while without swimming. So that's what I try to, you know, keep keep him on it. But, um, but yeah, it's definitely cool to have a, somebody who's in it, you know, for fun still because that reminds you what you started doing, like why you started doing it. Um, like at the start, it was, yeah, I mean, I was... I wasn't even, I was racing age group and people were beating me all over the place. Like it was just for fun. Like, oh, can I keep getting better? And literally that is the only thing that I've con- I've maintained. That's the reason I'm where I am now is just, I want to keep getting better. And I've always wanted to keep getting better. And as you train more and improve more, you have to get more and more serious about it to keep getting better. And so eventually it was just, oh, this is my full-time job now. And if I want to keep getting better, I better, you know, not have to work too much part-time and stuff or else I'm going to not be able to train as much. So that's kind of just how it unfolded for me, I guess. And did did you always think that you would go into some kind of sport? Uh, I always hoped I would, that's for sure. Um, I was kind of, you know, I, I, as Canadian, obviously I played hockey as a kid, um, competitive and, and I, you know, whatever the, it's, there's different levels of competitiveness in, in hockey. And I always kind of did the best I could, but I was never, you know, great hockey player. It was pretty clear. I wasn't going to be like a professional hockey player. Um, and I played soccer and 
I did baseball and whatever sport, like any of the school sports. So like whatever team you can join and there's like a six week season or something, I would join every single sport uh, that they would let me. And so that was kind of just always what I was doing. But then I realized that my main success was coming when it was like the track and field uh, meets every year. You have to do it as a kid. And I would sign up for every single event basically. <laughs> and uh, I would always win like the, the long distance running, like 1500 meters and the 800 meters. I would always, in the 400, I would always win those ones, which 400 is a long race when you're like nine. Um, 815 so, felt like, felt like it lasted a day. <laughs> It was brutal, but I love the 1500. It was awesome because I'd just start out, all the kids would sprint out and there would be people ahead of me and then I would wait for the first lap then I'd pass them and then I would win. So, you know, I just kind of, and then there's cross country too. And I'd always do that and kind of realize that I was pretty successful in that. Like I wasn't anything crazy, but I would usually make it to like the district meet or whatever it was called. Um, and I would do pretty well, like come top 10 or something. And there's kids beating me by a lot, but I was still, you know, doing okay. And then in high school is where I kind of started, okay, this triathlon thing is what I'll go for. And even then I'm running, like I was even training a bit for running in high school and I was, I was reasonably successful, but you know, I was in, in the 12th grade, I ran 3k in nine minutes, 24 seconds, which was not good enough to qualify me for provincials. Like the fastest kids at provincials were like probably in the eight twenties. So almost a, about a minute faster than me for three K, which is a lot if you really, you know, boil it down. Um, so I never thought, you know, oh, I'll be a professional and I'll be, you know, one of the higher ranked athletes in the world. I just wanted to keep pursuing it. And then as I started seeing more and more success, as an adult in my early twenties is when I finally thought, Oh, like maybe there is sort of a career I could have out of this. And I just kind of did all the things I could to make a bit of money at it. So there's like a local series where I would win the series and get like a thousand bucks. That was a multi-sport series. And I would just do the pro races I could drive to that were cheap. Like, Oh, I'll just pay for gas and like a crappy motel and, you know, do it as cheap as I can kind of thing. And, um, that's where it started. And then it just sort of, as you start getting more and more success, you get some podiums and stuff. Then you're like, Oh, maybe I can fly to a race this year. And, and then eventually you're just full on and you just, yeah, just happened slowly, I guess, over time. And what influence have Cody Beals and Lionel Sanders had on you, would you say? So very different, uh, very different influences. So Cody is a really good friend of mine. He lives here in Guelph. We train together, like several times a week. Um, so he, he definitely has been a, a huge role model for me. Like he's a few years older. So when I was just getting into the pro scene, he'd already had wins and, and was pretty successful. So he would kind of, you know, help me with equipment stuff at the beginning. And just, I would learn a lot from how he trains and, and recovers and things like that. Um, and then we just always bouncing ideas off each other and just sort of, um, now that we, we've both been at it for a while, we kind of, you know, just help each other out when we're wondering, hey, you know, I think about doing this or that and, and that sort of thing. Uh, not nearly as close a relationship with Lionel. Um, just he's not, he doesn't really live in Canada anymore, but even when he did, he was way over in Windsor, so it's like three hours from Guelph. And he was more of just sort of that, like, idol of, like, I hope to get that fast someday kind of thing because... We raced a couple times when I was just getting into it, and he kicked my butt, of course, and 
and then I saw his success on the on the sort of the the bigger pro races and have been a fan of his um, for a long time. But we do know each other and we chat at races and and uh, he's a great guy, really supportive. Of you know, after Oceanside, he's had some really you know great things to say and and he's you know one of those guys that you just love to race because you know he's he's a pretty um, he just loves racing and he you know he's he really tells it like he like he thinks it in his in his youtube and he'll he'll be the same way to you and he'll just ch chat very openly and it's really cool um so yeah it's it's been cool to see and him have success and really cool to finally get a, a get a win on him in oceanside there because <laughs> that was kind of the first one so uh i'm sure he'll want to get one back but we'll be racing probably a lot of times this year so um he'll have his his chance i imagine at the canadian open at the very least Cody, what did he did he say anything to you then at the finish line at, at Oceanside? Um, yeah, I mean he was just really, um, you know, he congratulated me and and uh, he was really happy to see that I'd win it won. And he said if he's gonna lose to someone, you know, he's glad it was me, but he doesn't like to lose. But <laughs> <laughs> and then we just chatted about training and stuff. Like we both, you know, the main place you get to know athletes sometimes is when you're. Uh, when you're waiting for like drug control after the race, because after a race, you, you got to go, you know, usually it's a top three and some other people and you got to wait till you have to pee, which sometimes takes a while and you're all just sitting there and chatting and, uh, that's where you kind of get to know people. So we chatted about training and stuff there and, and, uh, you know, he, he was sort of, um, talking about how bad he is at, at sprinting in the pool. Like he can't hardly sprint to 25 <laughs> faster than like 17 seconds or something so so that's what he's you know that's his struggle um but we've seen him improve pretty quick on the swim so i wouldn't be surprised he starts making some pretty good packs but uh but yeah he's he's a super like great guy to chat with hard you know as anybody who's really big and in, in the sport like it's hard to you know to connect with him unless you see him person in person because you know, you get a certain amount of following and it's just impossible to, to keep up with, to keep up with everyone. So I always look forward to when we get to race and, and just sort of, he's kind of been a measuring point for me because he's been really, really good at 70.3s for a long time. So every time I race one, I've been like, oh, I'm a little closer. Okay, let's see how the next one goes. <laughs> <laughs> and do, do you remember the first time you raced him then? And, and how much would he have beaten you by? Um... The first time in a 70.3 was at the same race where Alistair beat me by like 17 minutes. Okay. And Lionel was not far behind him, so he also beat me by like 17 minutes. Um, but even before that, in probably around 2014, we raced here at a local series, like just that multi-sport series, in a sprint try. And he didn't beat me by that much. It was something like two minutes. Um, which, I mean, it's a sprint try. That, that's still quite a bit of time. But that's kind of where I what gave me a bit of confidence just before I had success at the 70.3 was that I knew I was pretty close at the short course um, distance so I knew it would just be a matter of time before that sort of translated over into the longer distance because um, it was the same with Cody Beals like I would you know in that same race Cody raced and I was like a minute behind him or less and I would always be pretty close on the Olympic distance races to like the best guys so it was just patience um and then yeah we i never raced lionel too too much but yeah it was about once a year or something and i just kept getting closer and closer and um 
Actually, the Collins Cup, I think, had a faster time, but he was like six days after an Ironman or something, so that is kind of not, not a fair playing field. <laughs> and what about your... You said about your, your coach, and you've had the same coach now for 10 years. That's pretty yeah. rare, isn't it, amongst pro triathletes? Yeah, I think it is pretty rare, and I think what's especially rare is that I started with this coach when I was not even a pro athlete yet and not really even close. Um, like when I, when I started with James, I had qualified for like age group worlds the following year. And I was like, okay, let's, you know, get training and see if I can do well there. So, um, it's pretty lucky really that I just happened to come across such a great coach in Guelph where I live. Um, and you know, he, he loves the pro side and like he's he's got this hurdle project he calls it which is like helping pro athletes and um sort of like junior athletes who have high performance goals to like cut some of their costs like he doesn't charge a ton of money and he's he's really into it like he loves sort of exploring that high performance side and and seeing how we can you know get faster and train the best we can so he's pretty he's quite knowledgeable in terms of all the research on the best training methods and um, I've trusted him since yeah for 10 years and there's just no reason for me to want to to look for a new coach because you know I don't believe that um, there's other coaches out there doing things like significantly much better or different Um, and we have such a good relationship where we work together and we take what I've learned and what I know like about my training and and whatnot and what he knows and we kind of you know uh we almost kind of work together in that way so yeah i'm gonna keep working with him as long as it's working so you know for the foreseeable future at least and are you are you the first athlete who has gone from being an age grouper to a professional athlete that that he's worked with or still sort of works with uh no i so Garrick Lowen is another pro athlete who he's been with even longer than me, I think another extra year. And he kind of started in the sport and found James and, and, you know, he's been competing pro he's, he's coming back from some surgeries. So, you know, he'll be, he'll be racing again, uh, pretty soon, but there's him and, and there've been others who sort of made the jump up to pro and race for a couple of years. Um, and then he also coaches, um, a good friend of mine and, and someone I, you know, work with through the the real tri squad. So Nick Chase, he he works with James. He he kind of joined in with him a few years ago though. So um, that was uh, when he was already a pro. But it sort of says a lot about James's coaching ability because Nick's been with him for probably four years now, and um, Nick had like five coaches before that or something. So <laughs> so he's so been he's the longest well. one that Nick's been with. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, but yeah, he doesn't really target like gaining a lot of pro athletes just because he, um, he, he has a big age group team and that's kind of what his, his main, uh, business is. And, and he just coaches a few pros, um, because he loves it really. I mean, I don't think he makes much money off us because he just doesn't charge us much. He doesn't take prize money or anything. So, uh, he just does it cause he loves doing it. What a guy. What a guy. Tell me, uh, Jackson, what is the coldest you have run in or trained in? <laughs> oh. 
Uh, the coldest absolute temperature, probably, it was around, my, it was at least minus 25 Celsius. Um, it was last winter when I was over in Alberta with a friend. I was there because of different rules with COVID quarantine. And if I flew into Alberta from the States, I had a less quarantine or something. So I stayed with him. And it was windy. Like the wind chill was probably, you know, minus 40. But we were all covered head to toe. So you, we wore ski goggles to run. That's how, like, your eyes would freeze shut. Um, so that was the coldest. Uh, but, yeah, it's pretty common. Even in Guelph here, it'll be minus 15. It's pretty normal in January. So it's not actually that bad uh, running. You can bundle up pretty pretty well. Some people have a hard time with breathing in really cold air. It's never really bothered me, but... Yeah, it's just part of the part of the game when you're a Canadian and you gotta. You know what? I would rather cold and snowy than like rainy zero degrees. Like some people get a lot in the winter. We don't get much of that. So, like like yeah, the UK. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's probably we'll worse see, we'll honestly because you get wet and you're just yeah. yeah. Horrible. What's it like actually running in like minus twenty five plus minus however much wind chill? If you're dressed properly, it's not that bad. I mean, you're you have a lot of layers on, so you you don't feel like you can move that well, which is probably the worst. But you got to wear like two pairs of tights or tights under track pants or something like that. Um, but once you get your body temperature up, it's not really that bad. You just cannot have exposed skin because if you have exposed skin more than just like a tiny little bit, you're gonna possibly get frostbite. So. So that's not great, but you got to have really, really good mitts. You can't wear gloves. Gloves aren't good enough. You got to have mitts where your fingers are together and then, you know, you'll be all right. Everybody will be, everybody over exaggerates with the cold about how bad it is. Once you get in moving, your body's kind of working, you're, you'll be all right. I love it. Um, I want to pick your brains, Jackson, right? You got married six days after you did your first Ironman. I have a similar thing. I got married uh, a week after doing uh, a 70.3, so kind of similar, right? <laughs> what were you most worried about? Um, I was most worried that I would test positive for COVID and then that I would be screwed for getting back because you can't, at that time, you couldn't, you, I would have been screwed. So really glad that didn't happen. I wasn't too worried about like, you know, not being able to walk or something because six days should be enough that I'd be okay. And it turned out fine. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, it was, uh, it was a bit of a, a risk, I guess, but I was pretty careful not to get COVID at that time more than any other time because it would have sucked. So, so that was that, but, uh, the Ironman itself was, was not nearly as fun as the wedding. So <laughs> wouldn't have been worth it to miss. Are you looking forward to the next one? Uh, Iron Man. Wedding or Iron Man? <laughs> uh, Iron Man. Well, I kind of am. Like, I don't have one planned yet, but I I really uh, accomplished the goal in the first one, which was to kind of, like, gather information about, okay, what do I have to do to really excel at the Iron Man? And... Um, I didn't really excel in the first one. I was okay, but I was, yeah, okay was kind of the best I, I could say about it. So um, I definitely need like a longer 
just a longer focus on that sort of those sort of intensity zones, a little bit lower effort, just get more efficient um, aerobically to be able to kind of sustain what I need to for that race. Um, and yeah, I mean, I did it four weeks after 70.3 worlds and I like went in like four days before and it was a six hour time change and all there's all these stupid things that I should have, you know, done differently. But, um, but yeah, I just learned that you got to Like, you can't just go into an Ironman and add it on like at the end of the season without really focusing properly on it. So that's going to be, um, what I learned for the next time. And, um, I mean, I did some good training, but when you when you got four weeks between races, basically two weeks to train, really. Um, so it just wasn't enough. It wasn't enough time. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to try again sometime. And, and uh, you know, most people who do really well at 70.3 are able to translate that to an Ironman. Um, so I'm pretty confident I'll be able to do that. It's just a matter of making it happen and, uh, you know, picking the right course, the right time of year for me to be able to actually go for it um and this year it just doesn't make sense with with all the pto races and 70.3 worlds being so late in the year um kind of makes it a bit challenging unless i were to do one really early season which i didn't want to do because it just puts a lot of pressure on it so this wasn't the year for it but uh definitely coming soon 2023 and uh yeah are you looking forward then to the next wedding not your own uh yeah actually there's uh a friend of ours kind of wedding reception party this weekend actually so that's great i mean we're getting i'm like 28 so this is the age where everybody's starting to get married and and uh you know we'll probably have one like five times a year for the next five years so gotta look forward to that but (laughs) uh i also have like the you know the always acceptable get out of jail free card if i have to miss one i'm like oh i got a race sorry can't make it but but there's none this year they don't conflict at all so that's perfect hey that's really good actually that that's really good because i guess that is one of the major things isn't it about the fact that you know you're a professional triathlete actually sometimes social things have got to take a second i can't think of the word got to take a (laughs) i don't know what the word is a (laughs) backseat yes (laughs) yeah yeah, honestly, that is like probably the worst part about the job is that you can't you can't really just turn it off for like you can not train for a couple of days and that's not really a huge deal, but but you can't just mess up your recovery and your sleep and everything. You're like you always, you know, like I said, like your body doesn't forget things and if you just like go out on a bender and stay up till 3 a.m. getting hammered, that's not good. Uh, it's not good for your recovery. And like, you know, you always, it's just this, a little thing in the back of your mind, like, Oh, I would have been faster if I didn't do that. So like, you know, I'm in this to see how fast I can get. And, and I'm well aware that there's going to be a decade or two where I miss out on some, some fun stuff and that I'll just have to make up for it when I retire in like whoever knows how many years, apparently you can race till you're like 50 now. So who knows? Maybe I'll never retire. <laughs> you're 60 if you're your dad. <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll see. I don't know. I don't think I'll do any age group after. I think I'll be done. Like, I just, I love sports, and I've taken up a lot of my years of sport doing just triathlon. So, you know, I think I'll be a golfer and a, maybe a hockey player and a who knows, but not a lot of triathlon in the future once I retire, I think. 
<laughs> oh, Jackson, you've made uh, you've it's been great fun. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's been awesome. Uh, anytime. Thanks for listening to the Inside Try Show. If you want to get in touch or get a little bit more information on anything, then reach out to Helen on Instagram or Twitter at Inside Try Show. Keep me posted with what you are up to. You can reach out at Inside Try Show on social media. I know that Joanna, you've been training for, I'm going to say our, our swim run in Tlamberis in a few weeks time. And I know Martin has been finding some uh, ice cream stops and David has been tapering. <laughs> you can always drop me an email instead. That's Helen at InsideTryShow.com. Let me know what you are up to, just like Laura did. Hi, my name's Laura, and I'm the back half of Stella Tandem, and we're a record-breaking attempt to cycle around the world this year. My front half is Stevie, my husband, and we're in the final stages of our preparation to set off. So we're setting off at the beginning of June, and we're really excited about this. Um, we were inspired at the end of lockdown by Tandem Wow, who hold the female world record for circumnavigation of the world on a tandem bicycle. And lockdown as well gave us itchy feet, so we thought we'd give it a go. Um, we've been planning this for over 18 months now, and we're going to have to follow all the Guinness world record requirements, which is that we have to travel 18,000 miles by, by tandem bicycle. Um, we have to travel the same round, way around the planet. Um, we have to start and finish in the same place, and we have to pass through two antipodal points on the planet as well, so opposite points of the world, as it were. Obviously, we have to take a few flights across the oceans and we have a specially um, designed tandem made by Co-Motion um, with couplings to allow the bike to split into two so we can package it up into two bike boxes. And we've obviously been training as well. Over Easter, we um, completed a circumnavigation of Wales, um, not quite the world yet, but we covered 820 miles in eight days on a self-supported camping trip around the coastline and borders of Wales, which was amazing. We're in the final stages of getting all our kit prepped and packed. Um, we'll be carrying four panniers on the bike as well as some frame bags and traveling as lightweight as possible. We may be camping some places along the way, but we'll be using hotels and hostels too. But essentially we are self-supported. As we're a married couple, um, it's important that we need to try and get along on the way as well. So that could be a, a big challenge as well. But we've done a lot of long distance riding together. So we're quite confident that we can go the distance. And then I'm going to be staring at Steve's back for the best part of six months as well. So, yes, <laughs> the scenery might bypass me somewhat. But yeah, hopefully I'll be um, posting on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We've got a little YouTube channel as well um, and be blogging from our website, which is www.stellatandem.com. Um, and Stella Tandem is it's Stevie and Laura. Um, so it's spelt with one L. So S-T-L-A. And we're on Stella Tandem on all your social medias as well. You can dot watch us. There'll be a dot on our website to watch. And most importantly, we're raising money for some amazing charities. So please go on the website. And if you enjoy seeing how we're getting along, give us a bit of a donation as well. Hopefully we'll catch up with the Inside Try Show when we get back and be able to tell you all about our adventures. I have put links to 
Laura's adventure with her husband in the show notes. So you can go and find their website, find that dot to track them. Don't forget, you can get 10% off everything over at sponsorsresilientnutrition.com. Just use the code InsideTry10. For a discount at 33fuel.com, use the code InsideTry33. And then comfuel.co.uk will also give you some money off with the code InsideTry. So if you are after a variety of goodies. But that is it for another week. So happy training, happy racing, and we'll catch up again next week sports social podcast network lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.